I'm going to start teaching a series this week on the subject of how to overcome temptation or how to deal with temptation. And I really believe that this is something the Lord inspired me to teach on. I've never taught on this except uh, in our uh, Bible college. I've never ministered on this other than that. But I think that this is um, something that God led me to do, and it's really, really, really going to bless you. Now, tonight... Uh, I'm going to be giving kind of an introduction, things that I think are essential to be able to deal with and overcome temptation. But I want to encourage you, those of you who can come back tomorrow morning, I'm going to hit one of the major points on this, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you can, you need to be here in the morning. It's going to be really powerful. And then on Saturday night, one of the most important things God ever spoke into my life is what I'm going to share with you there. And I think this will make a big difference. You know, if every person in here could overcome temptation, your life would be totally different. Because, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but Satan can't force you to do anything. Here's another way of saying it. This is something that I say often. That Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. Now some of you don't like that. Because what that does, that puts responsibility on you. And we love to dump all the responsibility off on the devil and say, the devil made me do it. But the truth is, Satan can't make you do anything. All Satan can do is tempt you. And then if you buy into that, either adopting his thinking or then go through and cooperate with him in actions, you're the ones that actually are destroying your own life. You're the ones that are causing the problem. Did you know that you can't be fearful without buying into what he's telling you, without thinking the way that he wants you to think. You can't have defeat, sickness, disease, poverty, depression, loneliness. None of these things are just organic. They have to be cooperated with to enter into. Now some of you may or may not agree with that, but I believe that to be absolutely true. And if what I'm saying is true, then it's our cooperation with the devil that is actually the problem. We buy into his way of thinking, or in other word, another way of saying it is that we yield to his temptation. So if you could stop cooperating with the devil, stop yielding to the temptation, and temptation here isn't only to go out and do the wrong thing, but temptation is to think the wrong way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. And if Satan can get you to thinking the wrong way, ultimately you will act the wrong way. So really, when we're talking about temptation, this isn't only how to overcome certain actions, but it's how to overcome certain emotions, how to overcome the fear, the doubt, all of these things that lead to the actions. If you could learn how to do that, I can guarantee you, your life would transform. So I really believe that this is a super important subject, and it's going to really help you because every one of us is tempted. If you aren't tempted, then you're brain dead. Amen. As long as your brain is functioning, there is going to be temptation to think and act inappropriately, and uh, you need to learn how to overcome that. So I'm going to be teaching primarily out of Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, talking about the temptation of Jesus and show you how Jesus dealt with temptation. We're also going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 and talk about the original temptation that came against Adam and Eve. And the scripture says that all of these things that happened to other people, there are lessons for us to learn from that. And that's the reason that the scripture is written, so that we can learn through these things. So we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. But tonight, I'm just going to refer to this, and then I'm going to turn to some other scriptures to show you this. 
But as you start talking about how to overcome temptation and how to deal with it, and I'll turn over to these scriptures in Matthew and Luke in the morning, but when you look at the temptation of Jesus, as I was thinking about this, the Lord just spoke to me and said that Jesus didn't just resist the temptation when he was led up onto the mountain and uh, actually had this encounter with Satan where he came at him. But Jesus began preparing for this temptation many years, decades in advance. When Jesus, you know, in the uh, second chapter of the book of Luke, and he went up to the temple at the age of 12 years old, he was in the temple disputing with the lawyers and the doctors of the law. And when Mary reproved him and says, what have you done? Didn't you know that your father and I were looking for you and sorrowing? And he says, why did you look for me anyplace else? Didn't you understand that I must be about my father's business? At 12 years of age, Jesus was beginning to fulfill the purpose and the call that God had on his life. And the way that he was expounding on scriptures and asking questions and learning about the scriptures shows you that Jesus was preparing himself and had been seeking the Lord even from a very young age. And so here's one of the main points that I want to get across tonight is, and that is that you have to prepare for temptation. Now that's simple, but it's profound. You have to prepare for temptation. I don't know anybody that just wakes up in the morning and says, today I think I'm going to yield to temptation. I think today I'm going to fail. I think today I'm just going to go out and live in sin. I'm going to do something wrong. That's not what people do. It's not that they welcome it or want to do it, but most people fail because they don't have a plan to succeed. They haven't planned in advance how to deal with temptation. And the first point that I want to get across is that if you are going to be successful in overcoming temptation, you have to prepare in advance to be able to deal with it. Which means, whether you like it or not, some of you may think, I can't believe he's teaching on this. I wished I could have gotten something else. I wished he would have taught on something else. But you know what? God might have led you here to prepare you So that you won't fall later on. This could very well be God trying to help you. And you may say, well, I'm not in a crisis situation. That's exactly the time that you need to be preparing. I tell you what, you need to learn this lesson that if you are going to succeed when temptation comes, it's usually going to determine, it's going to be determined in advance by things you did that weren't even associated with the temptation itself. It's the way that you prepare your heart. Let me turn over to a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 to show this to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, this is in the Old Covenant. And I'm not going to take time to read all of these things, but Solomon was the son of David. Solomon ruled over the nation of Israel with an iron fist. And when he died, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And Rehoboam... uh, the people gathered themselves together and they said, your father was a taskmaster. He was mean to us. He taxed us and if you will let up on our taxes, then we'll serve you. If not, they had a man named Jeroboam who had been prophesied that he would take over some of the kingdoms of Israel and he would split and take some of the tribes and uh, they were ready to follow Jeroboam. So here they are basically threatening him with uh, you know, a separation in the nation, a defection. And so Rehoboam went to the counselors that were his father's counselors, Solomon's counselors, and they said, what should I do? 
And they said, if you will yield to the people today and, and uh, meet their request and lighten their load, then they'll serve you forever. And so he took that counsel and then he went to the counsel of the young people that were his age and he says, what should I do? And they said, show them that you're tough. Tell them they can't tell you what to do. Tell them that your little finger is going to be thicker than your father's thigh. If he chastened them with whips, tell them you'll chasten them with scorpions. And so he decided to take the advice of the young man. He went back and answered the people roughly and he says, I'm going to show you tough. And he says, I'll be tougher than my father ever was. And the people said, what are we have to do with you? And they left and out of the 12 tribes, 10 of them went with Jeroboam and the kingdom was split from Rehoboam. But even though he took bad advice, I'm not going to take time to read these scriptures, but chapter 11 and chapter 10 talk about that Rehoboam started out with a sensitive heart to God and he sought the Lord. And for three years, Jeroboam sought the Lord and his kingdom began to prosper. And as an indication of how much he was seeking the Lord, Rehoboam uh, marshaled all of the troops together, hundreds of thousands of troops. And if you were to just to think about this, if you were to get 100,000, and I forgot the exact number, but it was much more than that, like 600,000 troops. If you were to get half a million people together, it cost a lot of money. All the support things, the uh, uh, food that had to go along with them and everything else. This was a major effort And he marshaled these people together to go fight with Jeroboam and reunite the kingdom. And a prophet came out and said, don't do it. This is judgment on your father's kingdom because he didn't seek me in his latter days. And he says, it's the word of the Lord. Don't do this. Return. And Jeroboam, I mean, uh, Rehoboam just uh, dismissed all of the soldiers and sent them home. He swallowed all of that cost And he didn't go to war because a prophet came and spoke to him. So that's an indication how that when he started, he was sensitive to the Lord and sought God. But here in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14, this is just a real small, short passage of Scripture, but it's profound. It says in verse 14, He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Man, that is a simple passage of Scripture, but that's profound. And you know, when I found this verse, I mean, I'd read it before, but one time I was going through some things, and I'm sure that many of you have seen this same thing. You've had friends or you've seen ministers that at one time were seeking God and serving God, and then it just seems like, boom, just like that, they turn, they do something stupid, they commit adultery, they steal money, they do something, they fall And you just look at this and wonder how could these people that at one time knew God like this just turn and go the other direction. It seems like it just came out of the blue that there was no justification, no rhyme or reason for it at all. Anybody ever thought that? Y'all are sure quiet. You're looking at me like nobody thinks this way. Well, that's the way I think. I mean, I've looked at some people and just wondered how could they do that? It looks like there was no reason it just came. There was no indication that this was coming. And I've said it can't be that way. It just can't be that way. And as I was studying and looking for an answer, I came across this verse, and this just amazed me because what this is saying is the reason Rehoboam didn't continue on with the Lord, the reason he did evil is because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. This is saying, if you turn it around in the positive way, that if you prepare your heart, 
you will not do evil. Or you could say that you will not fall into temptation if you prepare yourself in advance. The word prepare means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that it has to be done in advance. You know, if you women prepare a meal, you don't wait until the people sit down and you ring the dinner bell and then you go fix the food. When you prepare food, that means it's done in advance. The word prepare means to do in advance. So this is saying the reason that Rehoboam did evil was because he didn't prepare in advance his heart for the things that were coming against him. And as I meditated on this, I've got a tape set out here. I'm not going to teach this tonight, but I've got a three-tape set on how to prepare your heart. I'd encourage you to get that. It would be a real blessing to you. But you can prepare your heart. You can, the word prepare here in the Hebrew means to establish, to fix your heart. You can get your heart so fixed on the things of God that honestly you just can't turn against God. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Either you're thinking about this, or you don't believe it or something. But if what I'm saying here is true, this is radical living. This would change your life. If it's possible for you to get your heart so prepared, so fixed, that you honestly just can't sin against God. Is that possible? Yes, I believe it is. And if that's possible, well then you know why so many people are failing in the area of temptation? You know why so many people are sinning against God? Because they haven't prepared their heart. And so, what I'm trying to get across is that if you want to start winning at this battle of temptation and overcoming the lies, the deception, and the things that Satan is doing in your life... One of the keys is that you need to start in advance. You don't need to wait until your back's against the wall and until you're already being tempted and, man, your hormones are going wild and then you try and prepare your heart. It doesn't work that way. You know what? You need to start preparing. You need in advance to set your heart on the things of God in such a way that, honestly, you just can't do anything else. I'm going to say some things here and then I'm going to show you some scriptures that will verify, give you a scriptural example of where this exact same thing happened. But here's one of the points that I'm trying to get across. You can fix your heart, establish your heart, prepare your heart in such a way on the things of God that you know what? You just literally cannot sin in that mindset, in that frame. Now I know that there's many of you that don't believe that. There's many of you that believe that you can't guarantee you aren't going to sin. Well, let me put it into personal terms. I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you with everything I've got in me that I cannot, I am impossible, incapable of committing adultery tonight. And somebody, you can't say things like that. You don't know what you would do. Don't judge me by your standards. You know what? Because I love God, number one, and because I love my wife, number two, I can guarantee you, you couldn't force me to commit adultery tonight. My heart is fixed, set on the things of God, 
And I believe that I'm capable of anything that anybody else is capable of, but I'm not capable of it tonight. Because my heart is fixed on the things of God and I love my wife. Before you can get into those things, you have to get into dissatisfaction, into anger and bitterness. Quit loving your mate. Quit responding to God. Like, for instance, Joseph said this over in the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. When he was tempted and and, uh, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he says, How could I sin against God and do this great wickedness? It was a sin against God. As long as your heart is sensitive to God, you cannot do some of those things. You know, to prove this in your own mind, just think about that if you were to go in and have an immoral relationship with somebody, how would it affect the whole thing if you just said, right before you jump in bed with them, let's join hands and agree and just dedicate this to the Lord. (laughs) Let's just pray and ask God to bless this. And God, we want to honor you. You know what? If you were to even have a thought like that, it would just destroy the whole thing. You would not be able to go commit adultery and be loving God at the same time. And see, here's my point. That you can get your mind so focused on God that eventually I could be susceptible or capable of anything that anybody else is, but because I love God and am focused on God and because I love my wife, I can guarantee you tonight I could not go and renounce my faith in God and my love and my commitment to my wife. It cannot happen tonight. And I don't know what it would take. I don't want to find out what it would take. But if it took six months or a year or two years of me not seeking God to harden my heart and to put my heart in a place to where I could go and commit sexual sin, I believe that eventually it could happen, but it can't happen tonight. It's like you can build up spiritual momentum to such a degree that it's like you're going a thousand miles an hour. Did you know you cannot make a U-turn going a thousand miles an hour? Now, if you're going two miles an hour or five miles an hour, you can make a U-turn. Even if you're a great driver, you might be able to go 50 miles an hour and make a U-turn if you know how to do those fancy deals. But I can guarantee you, you can build up so much momentum that you have to apply the brake and it takes a long time for you to slow down enough to turn and go the other direction. But there are some people that are going so slow towards God that you, you don't want to go commit sin, but you just hope and pray that by the time the sun sets, you're still serving God. You don't know for sure if you're going to be serving God. You hope everything works out. You don't mean anything bad, but you don't have any confidence, any boldness. You know why? Because your heart is so divided and going in so many different directions, you haven't prepared your heart. But I'm telling you, you can get your heart so fixed on the things of God that you just literally cannot today turn and go another direction. It's going to take a period of time. And if that's so, this momentum that you've got behind you, if you do find yourself being even starting to be tempted, all you got to do is just keep that momentum going, get back in the Word, get back to seeking God, and keep your heart sensitive, and you don't just fall off the wagon. You don't just all of a sudden enter into sin. You know what I'm describing right here is different than the average person's life. The average Christian, honestly, is just kind of like straddling a fence and you're teetering all of the time and you just are, you know, close to failing in some area, getting into depression. 
which I'm going to change this from just talking about sexual immorality, murder, stealing, lying, and talking about defeat, depression, discouragement, fear, anger. All of those things are sin. And they all have to be entered into. And there are some people that are just on the verge and you don't know for sure how today is going to be. You don't know if you're going to be happy today or depressed. You don't know if you're going to be victorious or defeated. You hope that you are, but you know what? You don't have any momentum built up. You haven't prepared your heart. You can get to a place to where you start seeking God to such a degree that honestly you just don't, you can't go any other direction. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Look at this passage of Scripture over here in Psalms chapter 57. This is the exact same Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that was used in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 verse 14 where it says that Rehoboam did evil because he prepared not. The word prepared there is the word uh, kun, K-U-W-N in Hebrew. This exact same Hebrew word is used in a number of places. Psalms 108, Psalms 128. And here in Psalms chapter 57, this exact same word is used. And in verse 7, this is David speaking. He says in Psalms 57, 7, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. My heart is fixed. Did you know that the word fixed is the exact same Hebrew word that was used, prepared. This is another explanation of what it's talking about. And you know, you can fix your gaze on something. That means that you, you are fixed. You are focused on it. Another way of explaining this is, I used to pour cement for a living. If you're not from Texas, that's cement. But I used to pour concrete for a living. And you know, it would fix, it would set up. It would start off pliable, but after you let it sit for a while, it would become set or fixed and hardened. And prior to that time, you could take a a shovel and move concrete. You could dig it out with anything. Probably all of you have carved your name in a walk or something like that. But you know what? After you let that thing set up for a while, it becomes hardened in that uh, state or fixed like that. That's what this is talking about. David is saying, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I'm going to sing and give praise unto you. And here is the key. I don't know if your Bible has this, but in my Bible, it's got a subscript under the title. Some Bibles have this and others don't. But here's the subscript under Psalms chapter 57. It says, to the chief uh, musician, Altasketh Miktam of David, which just means uh, it's a poem of David. It says, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story here, but David was anointed by God to be king, and the existing king, Saul, tried to kill him for it. And a lot of things happened. Matter of fact, Saul tried to give David his daughter to be wife because apparently this daughter was a mess. And he thought, if I give him my daughter, that's going to destroy him. So he gave him his daughter. And then he took his daughter away from him after they were already married and gave his wife to another man. Trying to hurt David. He tried to kill him twice with a javelin and a number of times. But in 1 Samuel chapter 24, let me just turn over here and read some of this to you. 1 Samuel chapter 24 David was finally on the run and he had about 600 men with him. And his father-in-law, the king, Saul, was trying to kill him. 
So here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, in verse 1, it says, It came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men in, uh, remained in the sides of the cave. And the man of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Arise, uh, or excuse me, that thou may do... Uh, Thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his man, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And the rest of the story is that after Saul left the cave, David went and fell down on his face before Saul. And he says, why are you listening to people that are telling you I'm trying to kill you? He says, this proves to you that I'm not trying to kill you because you were in here asleep and I came up, I could have killed you. My men told me to kill you, but here proves I didn't do it because I cut off a part of your robe. Here it is. And, De- and Saul, his enemy, began to repent and cried. And he says, by this, I know that you are going to be king. And he, David actually got his enemy to start confessing that he was going to prevail and that he would become king. But here's what I wanted you to see. David was being pursued by Saul, his father-in-law who had tried to kill him on a number of occasions, who had taken his wife and given her to another man. Now think about all of these injustices. Did you know most people would have killed Saul out of self-defense and would have felt totally justified? Most people would have killed Saul out of just uh, revenge for what he had done to his wife and to other people. And at that time, the way that the kingdom changed hands from king to king was that you went and killed the previous king and took over his kingdom. Nobody would have criticized him. That's the way that the government changed hands in those days. So you know what? David had at least two or three good reasons to kill Saul. Nobody would have killed, criticized David. Matter of fact, everybody was encouraging him. His own man were referring to some type of a prophecy. It's not listed in Scripture, but apparently somebody had prophesied that someday you're going to have your enemy delivered into your own hands to do whatever you want to with. They even tried to use the name of the Lord in prophecy to get him to kill Saul. And he yielded just enough that he went and cut off a portion of Saul's robe, which later his heart smote him about that, that he even did such a minor thing to a person who was trying to kill him. So what I'm saying is, there was a lot of pressure on Saul to go, I mean on David to kill Saul. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of temptation. But why didn't David do it? Because Psalms chapter 57, the psalm that David wrote about being delivered out of the hand of Saul in the cave. Here's what Psalms chapter 57 says, verse 7. My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. The word for fixed 
means prepared. In other words, here's what David is saying. David had set his heart so strong on seeking the Lord. He had made commitments and had fixed his heart on a certain path that he was just going to glorify God and he was going to trust God. He wasn't going to take matters into his own hand. David had his heart so fixed in that direction that he couldn't change. It was like he was going a thousand miles an hour and he couldn't turn around and become a murderer. He couldn't turn around and become a person that just took matters into his own hands and did it his own way. Why? Because he had spent at this time at least 13 years seeking God and trusting God and waiting on God. And you know what? You can build up such momentum seeking God and having your heart stayed on God that you honestly just can't turn and go another direction. And notice that when David, all he did was cut off just a tiny bit of Saul's robe. That's not a very big thing to most people. But it says David's heart smote him. His heart. Remember we are talking about that you have to prepare your heart? Your heart is one of the greatest defenses against temptation that you have. If your heart is sensitive to God then your heart will smite you. A person with a hardened heart or a seared conscience, it will allow you, it will embolden you to go do things. But you know what? You need to maintain a sensitive heart. You need to get to where you're convicted if you even start deviating from seeking God in the slightest way that your heart stops you long before you ever cross the line. That's what happened with David. You know, if this right here was a line and over there on that side is sin and everything over here on this side is not sin, you know how most Christians live? Just right up against this thing, just as close as they can get. They're walking just like this. And if anybody says something about, are you sick in the Lord? <laughs> Have you been praying? Are you, are you studying the Word? Are you, I haven't done anything yet but you're just as close to it as you can possibly get so that if there's just a puff of wind, boom, before you know it, you're over, you've crossed the line. You know a better way to live. If that's where sin is, anything over here, then I'm going to live my life way over here so that I could fall. I can't even run and jump that far. You know, maybe it's not sin for you to go watch an R-rated movie. If, you know, maybe some of them, like for instance, I believe that uh, Saving Private Ryan. It was gory. But you know what? I think people need to see something like that because it happened. And if you don't appreciate the price that we've paid for our freedom, then it's going to make you incentives. For instance, I just uh, heard today that, uh, who was it? Prince Harry over in England wore a uh, Nazi uniform to a masquerade party. Boy, now that is just brain dead. That's what you call dumb to the second power. (laughs) Dumb, dumb. In Britain, wearing a Nazi uniform, that shows that he doesn't know where he's come from. He doesn't appreciate the price that has been paid. Man, that is super insensitive. And of course, he's a young guy and you can write it off as being stupid, but it's just stupid. But you know what? Somebody, well, he didn't really do anything. Well, you know what you're doing? You're crowding this line over here. You're just getting this. Well, how do you know that that's not wrong? That attitude 
will cause you to yield to temptation every time. But you know, if you get over here to where, man, I'm not even going there. I'm not getting close. Man, if this is wrong, then I'm going to go about 10 steps back this way so that you know what? It's going to take me a long time to cross the line. My conscience is so sensitive in certain areas that some of you would laugh at me from the standards that I've got. I don't do a lot of things that many of you do. And you know what? I recognize that it's not sin. I could do a lot more than what I do. But you know, it's this whole principle that I've set my heart on seeking the Lord. There's a lot of things that I could do that I don't do, but it's just moving me closer and closer and closer to a place that I don't want to go. And I've got a buffer zone built up. My heart, if this is the standard right here, that anything that goes beyond that, above that is wrong, then I just keep right down here. I stay away from it. You know what that's doing? That's preparing your heart. You're setting your heart on the things of the Lord. Maybe 30 minutes a day is sufficient for you to keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Well, if 30 minutes a day is sufficient, then I'm going to put in 30, 40, 50, an hour and a half, two, four hours. I'm going to go above and beyond, and I'm going to build up a momentum that when Satan comes at me, you know what, I've got so much speed built up that he's not going to stop me and turn me in a different direction. Some of you are moving at such a small pace that if they put a toothpick in your way, it's going to stop your momentum. I mean, you ran over a pebble and you can't get over it. Some of the things that we're yielding to, it's because you haven't put any time into seeking God and loving God and you haven't focused your mind on God. And because of this, your heart isn't prepared And therefore, when temptation knocks on your door, you aren't going to have the speed, the momentum that it takes to be able to overcome the temptations of the devil. I know many of you don't like what I'm saying because what you're wanting is somebody to wave their hand over you and you'll be free from temptation and then you can still watch as the stomach turns and all of the junk on television and never spend any time praying, never seek the Lord, never do anything and it just works because I wave my hand over you. I'm telling you that that's not how you overcome temptation. Jesus, when He came into that temptation and He faced Satan, He had spent 30 years preparing His heart seeking the Lord. He knew the Word of God. And you've got to remember that Jesus didn't have a Bible like you and I have a Bible, a personal copy. Only the scribes, the synagogue had Scripture. And yet Jesus had spent so much time in Scripture that when He stood up in His hometown synagogue, He was able to take a scroll, which was a long a piece of paper rolled up like this. It didn't have chapters and verses in it. And he was able to take the book of Isaiah and turn to the very spot where it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me. Without chapters and verses, without anything, just having to take this scroll and go through it, he went boom, right to the place instantly. He knew the Word of God like the back of his hand. And how did he overcome every temptation? It is written. He took the Word of God. Jesus prepared Himself for 30 years to enter into that temptation. And yet the average Christian today only seeks the Lord after the temptation is trying to bang your door down, storming the castle after you're already under siege is then when we turn and say, Oh God, help me to overcome this. I'm just telling you that that is not the way to overcome temptation. 
If you want to overcome temptation, you need to prepare in advance. You need to recognize that you've got an enemy that's out there that's trying to destroy you. And some of you don't recognize this, but you are in a battle. This world system, even this country, and I love this nation. I think that we're the best thing going. I'm not, I mean, I'm not discrediting this. I believe this is the best nation on the face of the earth. But this is an ungodly culture. It is a post-Christian culture. It is full of unbelief. Lust is being crammed at us. If your grandparents, great-great-grandparents could somehow or another be zipped to this time in a time machine and see what's going on, they would think that we are living in decadence and ungodliness that just would have blown them away. And it's being crammed at you and your little kids are seeing immorality and murder and violence and things that people 20, 30 years ago couldn't have conceived. We are living in a culture where we're being bombarded and if you don't think that we're in a battle, you got your head in the sand, you're missing it, and I'm telling you, you aren't going to win this battle and overcome the lies and the deception of the devil unless you start preparing your heart, unless you start taking time in advance of the actual temptation and assault to get your heart fixed on the things of God. And you may not like this, and you may wish that there was some other way, but this is the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm not preaching just what you want to hear. I'm telling you this is the truth. If you want to win, you're going to have to start seeking God and preparing your heart and making your heart sensitive towards the things of God. You're going to have to get before God and say, God, I love you, and I don't want to to leave you. God, I'm focusing my attention on you. God, I love you more than I love sports, more than I love anything else. God, I put you first and foremost in my life. If you don't spend time fixing your heart and focusing your attention on the things of God, then I can promise you when the temptation knocks on your door, you may not want it, but you will be powerless to overcome it. That usually goes over about like that. But it's the truth. Let me give you another scripture on this. In Jeremiah chapter 10, look at this. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet because he was the one that God ordained to go speak judgment over the nation of Israel. And he hated it, but yet it was what what the word of God was at the time. And so he just was constantly weeping. In the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, he even says, God... I'm so tired of speaking your judgment and getting people mad at me. I'm not going to speak anymore. He says, I won't speak anymore. But then the Word of God was like fire shut up in his bones and he had to speak. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9. But Jeremiah was pronouncing in the 10th chapter of Jeremiah the the doom that was going to come on the nation of Israel. And he was pronouncing all of these judgments. And in the middle of his own prophecy, he came up and he says, how could this happen to the nation that was anointed by God, that the people that did walk with God, the people who were blessed above all people on the earth, how could it could have come to the place that they came from such a place of blessing to a place to where they are now under the wrath and the judgment of God? How could such a thing have happened? And then he answers his own question here in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. He says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. 
He's saying, God, how could this happen? Then he says, I know why it happened. It's because we quit letting you direct us and we went to directing ourselves. We thought that our wisdom was better than yours. We leaned unto our own understanding and the end thereof is the way of death. And he answered it. But here's what's interesting. In this 23rd verse, the end, where it says, It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Did you know that the word, the Hebrew word for direct, is the exact same Hebrew word as fixed, as prepared, It's the Hebrew word kun, K-U-W-N. Oh Lord, I know that it is not in man to prepare himself. It's not in man to fix his heart just by himself. It's not in man to direct his own way. You know, we have an attitude in our society that I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Nobody tells me what to do. I've chose my own way. We pride ourselves on our personal independence and on the fact that nobody's making me do anything. You know, it's really not true. You are either having God mold your heart and bring you closer to Him, or anytime you think you're controlling your life and you're directing it, then you're allowing Satan to do it. You are under the influence of either God or the devil. You are not a self-made man or woman. And I just know in my heart there's some people here taking offense at this right now saying the devil doesn't control me, but I just have chosen not to go towards God. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. You're deceived. You know, Satan doesn't have to make you become a Satan worshiper, a homosexual, a murderer, a thief. You don't have to be terrible. Just don't serve God and you go to the same place. There isn't a hell number two or a hell number three. And you know what? Some of you think, well, I'm not out here like some people. But if you aren't passionate after God, God created man to love God. He created us for relationship with Him. As it says here, it's not in us to direct our own steps. God gave you the right to choose. You have the right to choose to direct your own steps if you want to. God will give you the freedom to do it. But here's a hint. You aren't smart enough to run your own life. You ought to let God control you. It's like Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. Moses was speaking and he says, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. You know, this is a pretty simple choice. Life or death. Blessing or cursing. But just in case anybody is having trouble with this, he says, choose life. Amen. <laughs> Life's the answer. A or B. A's the answer. But notice, God gave you the ability to choose life or death, not life or death, or just being mediocre for a large part of your time. What you call mediocre, what you call just doing your own thing. And just, you know, I'm I'm not against God, and I certainly don't love the devil. I'm just not decided yet. I'm too busy doing my own thing. I'm just out here making a living. You don't understand. I just had not got time to do this. You're choosing By you not choosing God and recognizing your absolute dependence upon God and thinking, I can can handle it. I'm okay. You've just chosen to direct your own steps. You put yourself in violation of what God said. You're going against His wisdom and you've played right into the hands of the devil. 
You aren't preparing your heart. You aren't focusing and, and fixing your heart on the things of God. And when temptation comes, there will come one that's bigger than you and you'll fall apart like a $2 suitcase because you haven't fixed your heart on the things of God. I'm telling you, if you want to live a life, it is so simple to live for God. Just love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Get to where God is more important to you than making money. I'm not saying that you have to be poor to serve God, but I'm saying He needs to be more important than that. When you really get to where you put God first, then He'll add all of these other things unto you, and you'll prosper more accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. But I'm saying that you need to get to where... If you're saying, but I've got to, I've got to spend time... I mean, it takes a lot of time for me to make my living and to do all of these things. Then you know what? You ought to put God first. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It didn't say seek it last or seek it second or third. Seek God first and God will add all of these things unto you. When you get to where you put God first, you will prosper more. God will take care of you. But if you aren't putting God first in your life, then you are leaning to your own understanding. Then you're thinking that you need to do it. Somebody would say, but I'm so busy, I just had not got time. Well, if you're so busy and things are overwhelming you, that's all the more reason why you need God's wisdom and God's favor and God's blessing in your life. 30 minutes of putting God first in your life will make your efforts go 10 times as far as what you do on your own. There just is no excuse. There is no answer contrary to this. If you would put your heart on the things of God and just say, Father, I love you and I want to love you more. I want to know you more. And if you desire and long for those things, then you know what? Your heart will become sensitive to God. You'll get to where you start building up a momentum. You've been in the presence of God so much that it's, you just can't jump off. You just can't change. You can't make a U-turn. You can get to a place that honestly you just don't know how to sin. And I know some of you are thinking, this is weird. Man, I know how to sin. I'll never forget how to sin. I can sin right now. Matter of fact, some of you are already sinning in your attitude towards me and thinking this guy is just weird. But you know what? You don't have to live that way. You can live in a place where you just love God. You know what? You're so in love with God that a person can cut you off in traffic and rather than waving at them with just one finger or getting mad or doing whatever you do, you know what, you're just loving God and worshiping God so much you don't know how to quit. Some of you are thinking, I've never been there. (laughs) But you can. You can get into the presence of God to where you just don't know how to come out. Did you know that you can get so full of the joy of the Lord that you don't know how to be depressed? Some of you are thinking, well, it preaches better than it lives. You can't do that kind of stuff. Well, don't wake me up. It's working for me. You know, I won't go into all of the detail, but my wife and I, some of you have heard me mention this, that our son, our youngest son died... And my oldest son called and told me at 4.15 in the morning, woke me up out of a dead sleep and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but Peter's dead. And it took us an hour and 15 minutes to get up and to drive into town. We live way out in the country. 
And so it took us an hour and 15 minutes. We're so far out in the country, our cell phones don't work, so we couldn't call and find out what was going on. We spoke and commanded him back to life. He'd been dead for five hours, had turned black. They put a toe tag on him and put him on a, on a, in a cooler. You don't do that to live people. And um, you know what? On the way in, we had spoken our faith, but I started having feelings just like anybody would have. I started thinking, God, how could this happen? started thinking about what would it be like without my son and all these other things. And there's a lot of things that happen. I won't go into the whole detail, but you know what? I had so much momentum just loving God and praising God and walking in joy. I just don't get upset. I don't get angry. I don't get hurt. I don't get depressed. Some of you find this hard to believe, but it's been over 34 years since I've been depressed. I don't get depressed. I don't believe in being depressed. I don't like depression. It's a choice. And I've spent so long praising God that as we were driving in with this report that your son is dead, I just didn't like the feeling. And even though I was tempted, the same as you could imagine, anybody would be tempted, I just couldn't quit praising God. I just, I could not quit. I would have bust. And you can ask my wife on the way in, I just started saying, Father, you're a good God. You did not kill my son. I thank you that this isn't your fault. You didn't forsake me. I started countering some of the feelings and thoughts. And I just started praising God. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a good God. You do good all of the time. And you know, as I worship the Lord, all of a sudden, man, the moment you start praising God, you know what? It just drives the devil. It clears the air. The cloud lifts. All of a sudden, I remembered prophecies about my son that hadn't come to pass yet. And I thought, well, if those are really godly prophecies, and they were. Like one of them, a man, Ken Henderson, who was a part of the power team, walked in on a service I was holding in Banning, California. He had never seen me before. Wasn't there at the start of the service. Didn't hear me introduced. Didn't know who I was. He just walked into this church, and he came up to me afterward, and he says, do you have two sons? I said, yes, I do. And then he began to prophesy. Your youngest one is going to be serving God. He's going to be doing this. And my youngest one had died, and he wasn't serving God at the time. And I said, if that's a prophecy that's from God, and it had to be from God because he didn't know that I had two boys, then that means this boy's got to come back to life. And you know what? As I started praising God, I just started worshiping the Lord. And you can ask Jamie. I wasn't silly. I wasn't foolish. But when we got into town, I said, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And sure enough, when I got in there, my oldest son met me at the door and he says, Dad, I don't know what happened, but five or ten minutes after I called you, Peter just sat up. He's in there. You can go in and talk to him. And we went in, talked to him. Amen. And he was raised from the dead. And you know, an important part of that... Most people would think, well, whatever was going to happen with him was going to happen regardless of what you did. It's not so. I can guarantee you, if you can't see it on the inside, you won't see it on the outside. 
The way you believe on the inside determines what results you get. And if I hadn't have prepared my heart and just built up the momentum to where I spent day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, seeking God and loving God and praising God and getting to where I am going to bless the Lord at all times. If I hadn't have blessed God at all times when little things came, then when the big thing came my way, you know what? I would have crumbled and I wouldn't have been able to praise God. And there's a lot of people that want to win these battles over here, but they aren't willing to start over here and just day by day in a little thing start preparing their heart. Just like that song that Jill wrote today, uh, that we sang tonight, and she wrote about every day I come to you and lift my voice to honor you. If you don't do it when there's no, nothing dangerous in store, when there's no cloud on the horizon, when danger isn't knocking at the door, if you don't get up tomorrow morning and just begin to start saying, you know what, I'm going to worship God today. I don't care if anything negative comes or not. I'm going to worship God every day. I'm going to put my, I'm going to fix my heart. If you will just start doing it now, when there's no problem on, then a month, a year down the road, when something tragic happens, you will have built up enough momentum that you just can't quit. You can't stop. And you're going to still praise God even when the pressure's on. You're still going to be faithful to God even when the temptation is knocking at your door and somebody's trying to force you to do something. You just can't change. And some people don't like this because what I'm saying is it takes time. It takes effort, consistency over a period of time. And they don't want that. They want me to just wave my hand and snap my fingers and boom, instantly you're mature and instantly you're overcoming. But here's the good part to this. That in the same way as it takes effort and time to build it up and it, it takes some time, then once you get this momentum behind you, once your heart is fixed on the things of God, it's also going to take time for you to slow down. And you know what? You'll get to a place that you just can't quit. You just can't stop serving God. You can get to where your heart is so stayed on the things of God, you just don't like all of the junk that Satan is trying to tempt you with. You've, you've removed yourself from it. It doesn't take long to change your heart. It really doesn't. You know, this is the reason, some of you may not have thought about this, but this is the reason that you can send your children to youth camp and they will get touched at youth camp. A child that otherwise doesn't ever think about God. They're just as ungodly as they can possibly be. But you put them four or five days in a place where they don't have television, their old friends, their junk music, all of the things that they surround themselves with that keep their heart hardened to the Lord. Just get them to fast from it for four or five days. Put them in a place where they're constantly talking about the Lord and the love of God is. And you'll find many of them get touched by God. Just in four or five days, your heart will begin to change. But then if they come back and go back into the same lifestyle, their heart will change back. But I mean, in just if you were for a week to just get to where you've fasted from everything and put your heart on the things of God and just focused on Him without distraction, nothing else, I guarantee you, your heart would just transform. It would flip-flop. And you know, there's not very many times that I get into a situation where I feel like I'm having something really beginning to bother me. I'm, like I'm really fighting discouragement or despair or anything. It doesn't happen very often. But any time I begin to start feeling any of those things come at me, you know what I do? I just, for one day, separate myself. Fast. Study the Word. 
pray, keep my mind stayed on the Lord, and you give me an hour or two in the Word, and I guarantee you I'm right back to where I need to be. It just doesn't take long to focus your heart back on the things of God. But the problem is, and I'm not saying this to hurt you, I'm saying it to help you, many of you in here go days, weeks, even months without having periods of time that you are focused on God. The average Christian focuses on God for 30 minutes at a time, and then the rest of the day is spent doing everything else. You're never going to prosper doing that. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you're a preacher. All you, can, all you have to do is sit around and study the Word all day. Somebody's got to go make a living and pray for you preachers. I'm not saying you have to stand there with your nose in the Bible all the day, but the Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, that the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Did you know that you can go through your day with your mind stayed on God even though you're working a job? The same part of you that worries is the same part of you that meditates on the thing of God. If you can go through your day worrying about the argument that you had, worrying about your bills being paid, worrying about your health with your mind focused on something and still function, then you can also go through the day with your mind stayed on the things of God and still function and do your job just as well, better than you did it before. That's a deception to think that, well, I'm not a preacher and I just can't keep my mind stayed on the Lord. You may not be able to spend eight hours reading the Bible, but you know what? You can take a scripture, meditate on it, and ask the Lord to help you, and you can meditate on that scripture all day long, and it just transform your life. Any of you can do that. And that's what we need to do as believers is to keep our minds and hearts stayed on the Lord. The Lord will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3. If you aren't in perfect peace, your mind is not stayed on the Lord. And that's just it. There is no other explanation. Some of you think, oh, well, you don't know my problem. Well, you don't know the Word. If you keep your mind stayed on the Lord, you will be in perfect peace, zero, zero, zero exceptions. And don't tell me, well, you, you're a preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, how many of you have had your child die on you? Some of you have. But you know what? I've, I went through that and I'm still in perfect peace. I just couldn't help but worship the Lord and praise God even when I was told that my son had been dead for five hours. So your reasoning and your excuses about you don't know what my problems are, I've had my own problems and I can tell you it means what it says and it says what it means and you can keep your mind stayed on the Lord. You can prepare your heart. And let me just say that some of you that have taken the time to come out to this meeting and I praise God for those of you that are able to come any time that you're able to come, I believe tonight's going to help you. But even if tonight's the only service you made, it's going to help you. But if you could come back in the morning, tomorrow night, if you can be here, if you set aside two or three days to just stay focused on God, you know what you're doing? You're preparing your heart. And there will be some of you that will never 
ever, ever be the same again just because of the effort that you've put into keeping your heart and mind stayed on God. I see it every time. Matter of fact, I talked to a couple of people out here tonight, some that came to Atlanta meetings, some that came to our Birmingham meetings last year, and their life has changed. They're just never the same. And it's a shame that in a sense you have to have somebody come to town for you to keep your mind stayed on the Lord. What you need to do is learn how to do it on your own, how to encourage yourself in the Lord. And I'm just trying to prepare you tonight that you've got to prepare in advance, get your heart fixed on the things of God. And if you ever really want to win and overcome temptation and live for God, and I would suspect that the majority of you who are here on a Thursday night at a hotel are fanatics. And if you aren't a fanatic, a fanatic drug you here. That's the only reason you come out on a Thursday night. And yet, you know what? It's, you need to get to where you do this all the time. You just need to fix your heart on the things of God. And if you do it over a long enough period of time, you will, it'll be just the opposite of what happened to Rehoboam. You will not do evil because you've prepared your heart. The writer of Psalms 119 said it this way. He says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you hide God's word in your heart, if you are focused on the word of God, you will not sin. Psalms 119 also says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. God's Word, as you focus on it and meditate in the things of God, it'll keep you from sinning. You do not have to live a yo-yo existence to where you just sin and you blow up and lose your temper and you can't help it. You didn't want to. You've prayed and asked God to help you, but you just, you still do it. You still get depressed. You still get fearful. Every time something happens, fear just overwhelms you. Many of you don't want the results and you wonder why you can't have them because you really don't like the results. You're rebuking and binding. There are many of you in here fighting the devil and rebuking all everything, hoping to get different results. But the one thing you aren't doing is you wait until you're in the problem before you get serious and you just aren't consistently on a daily basis seeking God. Every day I come to you and lift my voice to worship you. You've you got to get to where you live by faith. You just don't visit there once a week. You don't vacation there once a year. The just live by faith. They dwell there. It becomes a lifestyle. It's comparable to a person trying to lose weight. And they get on a fast or on a diet for a week. And they see just a little bit of results. And then they go back and eat all of the stuff they missed. You know what will happen through something like that? You'll lose some weight, but then you'll, you'll gain it all back with interest. Yo-yo dieting doesn't do it. You know what? It's just going to have to be a lifestyle. You're going to have to say, this is what I am. This is the way I'm going to be. And that's what I'm saying about Christianity is you can't just do it when you're in a tight spot for a brief period of time, get serious about God, you're going to have to be serious about God the rest of your life. You're going to have to get to where God is first and foremost. And if you'll do it consistently over a period of time, it'll just change your heart so that you don't have the desire to go live in sin. 
so that you don't have the desire to yield to these things. And Satan can't force you into doing it. He has to play on these desires and stuff. And you can eliminate. The vast majority of temptation can be literally eliminated if you just focus your attention on God. Isn't that good news? Man, that's awesome. And again, I know that this is not the message that most people like. If I would have approached this tonight and says, man, I've got a word from God and I've got this holy anointing oil that if you will let me anoint you with this oil, you'll never give in to temptation again. I could fill the altars because that's what Christians want. Just anoint me with some oil so that I'll never have another problem and it'll be over and I can still be carnal. I'm telling you, it just doesn't work that way. As long as you are carnal, it's just like having a big landing zone, a beachhead with a welcome mat out for the devil. It's just not going to work that way. You're going to have to close down the airport. You're going to have to start being spiritual and keeping your mind stayed on God and seeking God with your whole heart. And you do that, it'll make a difference. Jesus prepared himself for that temptation. And I hadn't got time to go into detail, but let me just say that, you know, another way that he prepared, he got baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit and was full of the Holy Spirit and then went into the wilderness. Seeking the Lord and all of these things that I've said tonight are important, but you know what? You can't seek God on your own. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You need to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in you. Jesus didn't go face the devil until after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says in Matthew chapter 4, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. I guarantee you, you get full of the Holy Ghost, you start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it makes a difference. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. And I know that some of you have seen me on television and because I don't spit and scream and yell and roll on the floor and have a handkerchief in my hand wiping my fevered brow, many of you don't realize that I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking tongues. But I am. And you came here under false pretenses tonight. You didn't know you were getting into a Holy Roller meeting or whatever. And you're thinking, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, I am. And I speak in tongues, and I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues all of the time. And I tell you what, if you're trying to overcome Satan in your own power, it's like spitting in the wind. It's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. And that's what Jesus said. You receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so if you're one of these, and say, well, I thought that that stuff was of the devil. I hadn't got time to preach a whole message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you, if you don't think I'm of the devil, then the Holy Spirit's not of the devil because I am baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You would have never heard of me if I hadn't have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's when my life changed. March the 23rd, 1968, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and my life changed. And I can credit the beginning of everything, the Word that's been taught me by the Holy Spirit and everything that's happened in my life, the power that it took to see my son raised from the dead. We saw two deaf people out here healed tonight. We had a woman that was partially blind that started seeing tonight. 
All of these miracles that we've already seen happen here tonight have happened because of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need it. And somebody's thinking, well, can't you have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? I guess you can, but why would you want it? That's like having a pair of pants with only one leg in it. I guess you could have it that way, but what's the point? Everybody who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. That's a great benefit, and there's many other things. I had not got time to teach on all that, but I'm just telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not of the devil. It's of God, and if you want to overcome temptation, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know that many of you are from denominations that don't believe in this. And you say, we don't preach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. (laughs) Amen. You come out here and I'm just telling you that if you want to win over temptation, if you want to be victorious, Jesus didn't even face the devil without the Holy Spirit. Who do you think you are? Do you think you got more going than what Jesus did? If Jesus waited until he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he went to face the devil, how can you think that you're going to succeed? You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need it. It's important. And so if you haven't received it, you know what? We'd like to give you an opportunity. You know, there's, there's a couple of things here. The Bible says that you cannot receive the Holy Spirit until you're born again. You must be born again first. And then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. They aren't synonymous. They could happen at the same time. Like if there's anybody here who is not born again tonight, we'll give you an opportunity to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit on the same night. That's the best way. But they aren't synonymous. There's examples of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and then later spoke with tongues, like in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 19 and other places. They aren't automatic. You have to be born again first. But it's also true that many people get born again but then don't receive the power of the Holy Spirit and so they are resisting in your own effort and you're doomed to failure. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of you in here would just be honest tonight? I'm going to ask you to...